today on Ag News Daily. The crop is just not getting harvested, which is helping basic levels, but we need the futures market to respond to. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on today's edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? Pretty good, Mike. How about you? You know, not too bad, but I'm watching this rainfall continue to spread across the Corn Belt. Our good friend Louie Nig up there in uh, South Dakota sent a text out there, or a picture, a tweet, I suppose is what it was, out this morning. He got an inch and a quarter last night, and more rain was on the way, and I know he's not alone. Yeah, there is a lot of rain hitting across the Midwest. There were a lot of combines and tractors rolling over the weekend, but a little bit of slowdown, I'd say, today and to the rest of this week as rain continues to be on the forecast. Yes, indeed. It will be interesting today at 3 o'clock. We get the USDA's crop progress report, and we'll see exactly how much of these corn and beans were able to get removed. The trade is anticipating that we will have um, just about 34% of the corn crop out of the field and 42% of the bean crop, both well, well behind the five-year average. But uh, even that's not enough to really get the markets fired up today. No, it certainly is not, but we will be talking about markets here in just a little bit with market analyst Naomi Bloom, so do stay tuned for that, folks. Fantastic. Love chatting with Ms. Bloom. She's always got some interesting perspectives to bring to the table. Yes, she does. But before we get into that, Delaney, of course, we've got to get through the news. What are some of the headlines jumping out at you on this Market Monday? Yeah, there are certainly a lot of headlines hitting the line this week, or the newswire, I should say, today. I it, It's even hard to figure out where to start, but I do want to start with, I think, a pretty big announcement that continues to impact our hog industry. And Tyson Foods has become the latest major meat packer to stop using ractopamine in its pork production because of the continued African swine fever issue going on with China. Their hopes are to get more pork into the country and cut out ractopamine. If all U.S. suppliers cut out ractopamine, however, it could reduce the pork production, U.S. pork production, by 110 million pounds this year because the pigs would be smaller, which is according to Ag Resources Co. They've put together a study looking at that. So Tyson has said that farmers have until February 4th to meet the new requirements, and they've already started a line to offer limited ractopamine-free pork products to their export customers, but they said that the programs weren't meeting enough of the global demand, and that was the reason for their shift here. And I also wanted to add to this, because it is Porktober month here for about another week or so, and... Of course, one of the major pork products that people continue to consume is bacon. And there was an interesting little uh, chart put together by Bloomberg over the weekend here looking at snapshot of what shoppers are paying for about 18 ounces of bacon around the world as the African swine fever continues to escalate. It, of course, is impacting global pork prices And I thought this was just really fascinating. The U.S. is paying close to the cheapest rate for bacon at about $6.99 per 18 ounces. 
Buenos Aires, Argentina is actually the cheapest at 472. But then other countries around the world, like Beijing, they're paying 1069 for bacon. Hong Kong is paying 1275. Tokyo is paying $17 for Ooh, bacon. Wow. So I just thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, you've got to really want bacon there in Turkey to write I, that check. Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, I've got an interesting update on that as well. Uh, looking at just Chinese prices, the National Bureau of Statistics of China reported late last week that, of course, as we know, pork prices have exploded in that country. And in fact, pork prices alone are up nearly 70% compared to this time last year. Um, and this is looking in September. Uh, they did say that overall, food prices have increased about 8.5% because as the price of pork has skyrocketed, grocers are taking the t uh, you know advantage of that move to raise the price on other goods. So just overall, food inflation in China continues to climb. So I thought that was interesting, and it definitely speaks to, uh, as you mentioned, Tyson pulling Racto out of their uh, supply chain to get in there and capture some of that, uh, capture some of that premium. Absolutely. Absolutely, Mike. Well, another thing I wanted to update our listeners on was the Brexit deal. It seems to be on hold again. The British Parliament failed to approve that plan to separate the UK from the European Union over the weekend. That vote did not make it through. So it seems now more negotiation continues. will have to continue to happen. Yes, more negotiation, more uncertainty. I was reading a story by Reuters about uh, what all is happening in uh, Great Britain in Parliament, and uh, basically they've got 10 days to put something together or to arrange an extension to get this Brexit deal through, and right now they're just kind of sitting on the fence. The pro-Brexiters really just want to see this exit happen. The, uh, the other side really wants at least a delay so they can have more discussion over the negotiations for exit. And I tell you, this thing is going to be a, uh, it's going to be a headline driver for, uh, for some time to come, possibly until the end of January, if the EU grants the longest extension possible. Yes, and this is not really tied to Brexit, but it kind of is. Um, Chick-fil-A is all over the world, but as of Sunday, they are no longer going to have any Chick-fil-A restaurants in the UK. It's partially due to Brexit and partially due to just the CEOs, how they handle some of like the gay rights stuff and all that. But I just thought that was interesting, too, that Brexit is also having an impact on some of their restaurant retail sales and whatnot. So did it say, are they just going to close all the Chick-fil-A's? <laughs> in the UK, they are. Mm -hmm. Wow. UK listeners, I know we've got a couple of yeah. you. If you like those Chick-fil-A sandwiches, get out there and start stockpiling. Yeah, I'm not sure when they're closing, um, but it sounds like pretty soon. You know what? There is a... Uh, yeah, here in here in the U.S. anyway, where I'm most familiar with Chick-fil-A, they have huge fans of like, rabid, rabid fans of Chick-fil-A. I mean, these people will do anything to get their hands on Chick-fil-A. And I wonder if that's the case in the U.K. And I wonder if we can develop a secondary black market boxing up Chick-fil-A sandwiches and shipping them over to uh, to England. I can't imagine that they'd taste very good by the time they got there. We can, uh, you know, ship them on a plane if the margins are good enough. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to guess probably not. They've got their own good Ven food. Venture capitalists, let me know if this is something you want to invest in. We'll, uh, we'll go ahead and get it started. Okay, you get on that. 
Well, speaking of investments, Cargill is making a huge investment in their soybean crush facility in Sydney, Ohio. This is something I know uh, a lot of our analysts we've had on the podcast have talked about, Ted Seifert notably, talking about how we need to increase the crush. The margins are there. We need to be able to crush more beans here in this country and sell the products overseas. And that's what Cargill's planning to do. They're going to invest $225 million at the Sydney site. This is going to increase crush capacity and modernize the operations. Uh, They say this is going to drive more demand for uh, beans in particular in that Sydney, Ohio area. And it's going to allow those farmers to deliver their beans more effectively as uh, the upgraded plant will be able to unload trucks at a faster rate. So I think this is a very interesting piece of news, and it's certainly a part of what we have to do. Absolutely, Mike. And another interesting piece of news that continues to dominate the headlines is what's going on on the RFS front. There have been multiple biofuel groups that have sent letters and reached out to the EPA asking them to reconsider the supplemental rule on blending requirements that they released last week. This uh, rule that we talked about a little bit on the podcast last week was supposed to be kind of a fix for all of the small refinery exemption waivers, but biofuel groups, producers, and others are saying that this does not meet what they were promised. It falls very short of any fix they were promised, and they they are now asking for kind of a do-over. Yeah, yeah, I would say that the pushback is working from the ag side to uh, to get get the EPA to put their thinking caps on again and, and figure this deal out a little bit better. You think it is working? Well, I mean, I hope so. It, it's certainly a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pre- pressure, I would say that. I guess time will tell. I, I shouldn't speak uh, out of turn. Yes, time will tell. Well, I've got something. I thought this was interesting. It's not necessarily news for a lot of our agricultural producers who tune into this podcast, but it is still ag-related. Rubber production. A key rubber tree growing area in Thailand has been hit by an outbreak of fungal disease, which could cut their rubber production in half, Delaney. I, I didn't realize Thailand was such a huge producer of rubber, but they are, in fact, the world's top producer and exporter of, of natural rubber. Mm-hmm. And they account for 40% of global rubber supply. And they say this disease is, uh, is spreading fairly rapidly. It's been found in three districts in Thailand as well as in neighboring countries, Indonesia and Malaysia. And those three countries account for 70% of the world's natural rubber production. So I guess if you do anything that relies on natural rubber, you probably better be prepared for a price spike. Isn't natural rubber, doesn't that come from like rainforest areas? Yeah, yeah, tree plantations in tropical areas. I don't know that much about it, but uh, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Rainforesty type areas. Hmm, okay. Well, I guess we continue to see spikes in some of our resources as more is going on in the global world. Exactly. Global trade, global ag, there's always something to watch and keep an eye on. That there is. And the markets are definitely one of those things. Mike, I am out of news. Should we take a look at where the markets closed for today? 
We should. I just have one quick piece of news. A South Dakota cattle producer by the name of Todd Wilkinson testified earlier today at a U.S. Senate subcommittee, and he was testifying about the environmental impact of cattle production. And uh, he was coming out uh, swinging, talking about how cattle can be positive for the environment. They can be positive for uh, greenhouse gas emissions. He addressed the methane concerns. It was a very, very good testimony. And I would say if you have the chance to check it out, Google up Todd Wilkinson um, and you'll find his testimony there. And it's worth checking out for all of our uh, cattle production friends. All right. Maybe Clay Conry could have him on as a guest for the Working Cows podcast. You know, they're both from South Dakota. I bet they know each other. They sure might. It's a small state, you know. Yeah. Just like everybody from Iowa knows each other. Exactly. Exactly. We all wave at one another anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, I tell you what, Delaney, now that that's out of the way, let's jump into the markets. And we've got some red on the screen in the grains. We've got a little bit of green on the screen in the livestock markets. And dairy actually had quite a big gain in the deferred bumps. So let's take a look and see how we wrapped up for the day. In corn, the December contract was down three and three quarters at 387 and a quarter. The March contract down three cents, closed the day at 399 and three quarters. In soybeans, the November contract was off half a cent at 933 and a half. January down a quarter, finished at 947 and a quarter. Chicago wheat, December contract dropped eight and a quarter down uh, today at 524 even. The March down seven and a quarter to finish at 529 and three quarters. Some strength in the live cattle contract. The December contract was up 25 cents at 113.8750. February up 15 cents. Closed the day at 119.22 and a half. Mixed trade in feeder cattle with the November contract unchanged on the day at 142.85. January down 35 cents to finish at 139.10. And in lean hogs again mixed trade. December contract dropped 12 and a half cents to close at 67.8250. The February up 70 cents finished the day at 78.17 and a half. And in dairy, October, which of course is getting close to expiration, the October Class Three milk contract was up three cents at 1866. November, however, up a startling 61 cents on the day to finish at 1917. Without further ado, let's get our good friend Naomi Bloom in here to discuss what these market numbers mean for our listeners. Well, for today's Market Monday conversation, we have the wonderful and glamorous Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing by Stuart Peterson. You guys have a little bit of a name change there, but still the same company. Naomi, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Naomi, it's kind of a blah day today in the markets, but we've seen a lot of rain continuing to hit parts of the Midwest. Why are we not reacting to that news yet? That is what I was trying to figure out all day long. You'd think that with as soggy as it uh, has been and continues to be that the market would respond, but maybe they're just waiting for the crop progress report that comes out at uh, 3 o'clock today to get some concrete news. Heading into that, you know, we're expecting um, a wide expectation of ranges for what will be harvested. So for corn, last week we were 22% harvested, and the range this week is anywhere from 30 to 39 percent, and with beans harvested last week, 26 percent, and now people are thinking anywhere from 35 to 50 percent harvested. But I don't know if it'll be that high based on clients I'm talking to throughout the Midwest, but we'll see. 
Well, that's the thing, Naomi. I'm looking at a weather map of the past 72 hours worth of rainfall, and pretty much any place that needs to move a combine is in green or yellow. I mean, they've gotten a decent amount of moisture. What is the trade going to need to see from crop progress to really act as a piece of concrete news to move us to the upside? Yeah, I would say if we could get the the harvested numbers in at the lower side of those expectations and below like the the average estimate coming in today, that would be enough. With, you know, corn futures, we tested support levels today on daily charts, and if they can hold tonight, great, we can probably start to push the trend higher. But it's almost like this market still has the mindset that, oh, the crop will get harvested. And I'm like, you know what, this is getting later and later, and now we're almost to November, and a lot of these places are not even going to hardly still be able to get much done within the next week and a half with the rain that's coming through right now, and then again the next round that's expected for the weekend. So um, it's you would think that they would get their act together to say, you know what, this delay is significant. It's going to linger into the new year, potentially, all the way to Christmas, and guys maybe not combining until the ground is frozen. I mean, I've had people tell me that, too, in Wisconsin. And and so, you know, sooner than later, we got to get the reality that the yield isn't as big as what the current USDA estimates are suggesting, and the crop is just not getting harvested, which is helping basis levels, but... We need the futures market to respond to. Well, and that's a, a great point there. Looking at basis levels, they've seemed to react to this crop or really lack of crop and the weather delays we've had, but the futures markets don't seem to be reacting yet. Why is that the case? I'm almost wondering if it's um, in part um, the funds, which really do seem to wait for USDA reports before they take aggressive movements. So the funds now in soybeans have gone long in the market, but they're still short corn, you know, to the tune of around 100,000-ish contracts. And um, so it's almost like they want the confirmation of a smaller yield number, smaller ending stocks before they go ahead and commit to higher prices. So that next USDA report doesn't come out, though, until November 8th. Next, It's a Friday, so we still have, you know, two and a half weeks to – wait for something concrete besides these weekly crop progress ratings. So now let's talk a little bit about marketing through this challenging harvest season. For a lot of growers who are maybe still sitting on old crop corn in their bins, maybe they don't have the storage at home, they're really looking to to get some corn sold off the combine when those combines run. Would you be looking at a re-ownership strategy here with with, uh, Deese Corn down at 387, or or would you look out a little farther? Um, So... Uh, two-part answer. So people who are uh, making sales off the combine, I would absolutely look at re-ownership, and my thought would be to go out to March. Uh, that way you get a lot of the time that you need. You get all of this delayed harvest. You're going to get the big January USDA report, and that way you don't lose time value in the cost of the option premium, because if we end up trading sideways for another month, your option should hold value pretty well. Um, but if you're in a situation where um, – you could maybe take a look at doing some basis contracts. So you could deliver to the elevator um, and maybe just do a basis contract where you can lock in the basis and then maybe price the futures out later. That might be another solution as well. So, yeah, we're still of the opinion that there overall is more upside to come as we head towards Christmas, but it is going to be a slow and steady process. That it is. Naomi, I want to turn our attention here to the wheat markets because last week they had quite an interesting week. Didn't close very strong today on the day. 
Is it a correction that we're seeing from last week's strong trading sessions? Absolutely. Profit taking is the name of the game there. So that is what we're seeing with that wheat market. We did have decent uh, wheat export inspections today. It came in at 565,000 um, metric ton, and that was you know, near the higher end of expectations. So we, we are moving wheat as far as exports, and I think that's encouraging. And now what's interesting is that the rhetoric is that on the trade deal with China, there's some talk that they're going to rather than maybe want to buy corn from us, buy wheat from us, which I thought was quite interesting. So we'll see if that comes to fruition or not. But the other part of that wheat rally that was we've had was because of the Australian wheat crop getting smaller. Um, they were down a year ago because of drought. The drought is there again this year, so there's some support there as well. But again, yeah, today just definitely profit-taking because we didn't have any fresh news over the weekend to get it to extend prices higher. So just a little setback. So now, as you think, still talking about the wheat market here, a little bit of profit-taking after last week's, well, really the past two weeks' rally in this December Chicago wheat contract, what are you watching for the top side? Is is 540 in the cards if we get any sort of bullish news? Uh, so looking at the December contract for that Chicago wheat, um, I would say that um, the kind of the inverted head and shoulders formation um, 540 definitely a target. 550 would be the ultimate. So we're getting in that area and that vicinity. But um, yeah, somewhere between 540 and 550. Anytime we get closer to 540, though, again, I think that would be a pretty good opportunity to get some sales made and then start protecting to the downside for the short term. Naomi, I want to take it over to the soybean markets. I saw in your weekly or your daily newsletter this morning that China continues to buy cargo ships from Brazil, of Brazilian soybeans. What do you make of that after this whole hubbub about the phase one of the Chinese deal and, and buying more U.S. products? It doesn't appear that they're doing so. No, that's been a little slow rolling there, that's for sure. I, I'm thinking that right now most of that is attributed to our U.S. dollar being so high, and I think it is just a little bit cheaper right now to be able to get it from South America. So I think that's part of what that was. But then I read that um, as far as vessels that left the Pacific Northwest, last week there were actually six vessels that left and that totaled 8.5 million bushels. And the vessels went to China and Taiwan and the Philippines and Bangladesh and Thailand. So everything heading over to that Southeast Asia area. So that at least is encouraging. So we are you know, seeing exports move. And on today's export inspection report, 1.3 uh, million metric tons was what we had for the number, then that was at the high end of expectations. So, uh, you know, it's not that immediate gratification that we're looking for in terms of China buying from us, but we are moving product, and especially to that Southeast Asia region. But we're not moving the price, Naomi. What's going on? We're down 50 cents on the day. It's so frustrating. I'd love to oh. see this market get up there back above 940. What's it going to take to do that? Um, I would say we need some – this afternoon's crop progress rating would be the first thing that can make it happen, and then any better um, trade news that could come out would be helpful. And then just to get some technical buying to come back in. The funds are – you know, they're, go they're going long with the soybeans, and I think people are also a little bit wary of the seasonal tendency of the marketplace right now because if you look at a five-year pattern, a lot of times the price of soybeans can work a little bit lower into the last couple weeks of – of October, but the 15-year pattern would suggest that we just continue to work higher almost all the way to Christmas. 
So uh, traders are mindful of that seasonal pattern, and they're waiting and watching to see, is this going to be like the five-year pattern where we work lower, or is this going to be finally a year where things are different? And I would say, because the yield is definitely coming in lower consistently from producers that we're talking to, we actually have some news to suggest that the price should go higher. Um, but again, we just got to get that news to be, I don't know, somehow more impactful or maybe like a big, <laughs> um, I don't know, like a shiny sign that says, this is it. You really do want to buy the market today. It's something that really grabs people's attention. Absolutely. I like that. A shiny sign that says, do something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Naomi, let's talk about the protein industries. I want to kick it off with the lean hog markets where I'm looking at December and February and the spread going on there. There's a almost a $10 spread into the deferred contractor premium being built in there. Is that an indication of African swine fever or protein consumption, something like that, that's making the lean hog markets have that premium built in? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, expectations of demand continuing, expectations that our exports are going to keep moving um, forward. Um, and when you you know read that the African swine fever is now spreading into other parts of Southeast Asia even more aggressively. I think it was Vietnam uh, was saying that now 20% of their herd is lost. So we have an export market Southeast Asia that needs to be watched, not just to China. So I think there is... Um, hopes that that exports are going to happen. But my fear is that if they don't happen, we have such a surplus of product that uh, could really push prices a little bit lower. But as long as the exports happen, we should be okay. Well, and then let's talk a little bit about the beef market. Well, we got you on the line here, live cattle. And just like uh, well, wheat have had a heck of a rally over the past several weeks, but Naomi, it looks like it's stalling out a little bit. Where are we at seasonally, and what do you expect to see going forward? Yeah, going forward, we're stuck right up against some resistance levels on the daily charts. That's what's killing us right now, and we don't have that, again, that immediate gratification news to take us higher. Um, so looking at December futures and even looking at the February futures, prices um, have had a really amazing, amazing recovery higher since the lows from early September. Um, but we just need that um, continued friendly news to advance us. And I was reading today that, um, that there's a pretty big um, spread between like the, the choice product and the select product, and they're um, having trouble like finding high-quality cuts of, of beef right now. And so that might be something that keeps the market a little bit supported as well. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can get it con to continue. But it is getting a little bit overbought on the daily charts. So there's some caution that's warranted, but we have every reason to be at the prices that we're at right now. And, Naomi, share with us your thoughts on the current feeder market outlook as well. Yeah, so looking at those um, feeder cattle overall, it's kind of a similar thing to – the fat cattle from the standpoint of they've had a nice run up. Um, they've been, I think, appropriately valued everywhere that they are right now. And then it'll just be a matter of, of course, keeping an eye on where the grain prices go along with the fat prices. But overall, everything is up at an important resistance area, appropriately priced. We just need the continued news to keep things moving higher as well. 
All right, Naomi, before we let you go, I've got to ask you this question because it was one heck of a move. November class three milk futures up 60 cents on the day. December up 42 cents. What happened? There must have been some news there. Cheese. Cheese, baby. It all comes back to cheese. All the cheese. Yeah, ten cent rally um, on, on that market today for for the cheese prices, and that just pushed futures higher as well. So, what's really interesting to me is that the cheese price, when you look at where we are um, compared to the global dairy trade price and the European spot market cheese price, um, so rounding numbers here, we're like at two bucks a pound, and then the global dairy trade is at a dollar sixty-five, and then the European market. Is closer to um, like a buck fifty. So we are trading at a premium. So that makes me a little nervous. But I think also we're seeing some early holiday demand um, starting to to ramp up for people who needed the secure product to get their um, cheese trays ready to go and all of the gifts that come with that. But um, this week we have a milk production report that comes out, so that'll give us some fresh news. But again, this rally is just it's cheese led for the moment. All right. Eat your cheese and dairy is what it sounds like. That's right, Delaney. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Naomi, before we let you go, please remind our listeners how they can get a hold of you as your number changed with the name change or still the same place. Same place. Give me a call at 800-334-9779 and then just ask for Naomi. Or you can find me on Twitter at Naomi Bloom, and I would be happy to answer questions you have. All right. Well, Naomi Bloom, thank you so much. Thanks, you guys. Take care. Well, folks, that wraps up this hashtag Market Monday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. But you can always check in and get access to past episodes by visiting our website. Go to agnewsdaily.com. It'll take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network. Connect with us. Sign up for the newsletter. Connect with all the other podcasters who are currently on the site and bringing excellent content to you. And Delaney, they can also follow us on social media. Where should they go to do that? Absolutely. They can find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And folks, if you missed our Friday newsletter last week, don't worry. We're continuing that on again this Friday. So do head to globalagnetwork.com and hit subscribe in the left-hand corner, and you'll get that right in your inbox every Friday morning. Fantastic. And with that, Delaney, shall we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 